Saturday morning, and welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Esther Brooks. I'm Tom Estbrook, your host, and another great Saturday morning, February 15th, ah, halfway through February. I love it. You know, March is coming. March, in my opinion, can be a spring month or a winter month. We're not sure yet, but boy, I'll tell you, things are moving along. The greenhouse is a buzz. Plants are being planted. Things are happening. The store's being set up, you know, two weeks, two to three weeks before we're open in Yarmouth again. So a lot going on. Flower shows coming up. You know, all kinds of stuff going on in the gardening world. You know, and we're getting those just few days where the sun's strong, the days are longer. There's hope. That's for sure. Today we're talking with uh, Jeff Marsteller uh, from Cozy Acre Greenhouses. We're going to talk to him about a whole host of different things he's got going on with his greenhouse project. I told you last week about the geothermal and the solar and all the things. Zero carbon footprint. Cool. Only one. Can't figure out anybody else in the country that's done this. So we're going to talk to him a little bit. And we also have Carrie Ann Mendez. And we'll be talking to her about her books her wonderful move back to Maine, you know. So a whole bunch of things coming up, and we're going to bring Jeff Marsteller in. Jeff, how are you this morning? Hey, fine, thanks, Tom. So exciting things going on at Cozy Acre Greenhouses here. Well, we uh, we actually do have things going on. So tell us a little bit about the history of your business, what you do, and uh, your location, and all of that fun stuff. Sure. Well, we're up in North Yarmouth, but the interesting thing about us, when people ask where we are, I don't tell them. <laughs> uh, we are wholesale growers. Uh, we're out in the woods in North Yarmouth, on mm-hmm. the long driveway that goes into the pines. So as people uh, people drive by, most don't realize quite what's going on in here. Uh, we are wholesale growers, so we grow annuals, vegetables, and herbs, most everything in containers, and we deliver those to garden centers around southern Maine. And those folks uh, at the garden centers are the ones that actually sell them to the public. So over the years, we've gone from one greenhouse to two greenhouses. Well, we're now up to eight greenhouses, and we grow, uh, as I said, primarily annuals, vegetables, and herbs, all in containers that go to these garden centers. So as folks go to uh, many of the area garden centers and want to purchase tomato plants or geraniums or um, a box of basil, uh, it very well could have been started here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're in North Yarmouth, yes. and we have a fairly long history now. I, I think over 20 years we've known each other. And yeah. I, one memory I have is we, we took a nice trip to Rutgers to kind of do a bunch of work on technology together. Yes, we did. And actually that was, I can date that, because that was when we put up our first serious greenhouse. That was uh, the summer of '95. So in 95, we drove to Rutgers, uh, Tom and I did, and we learned um, different approaches to building greenhouses and how those might work together. Um, and we, uh, we came back, I came back and, and figured, let's build a greenhouse uh, and then add more and more and have them all connected. So everything's on one level here at Cozy Acres. Everything has concrete floors, so we work in one spot and we take carts of plants around and and grow them so we can run over half an acre of greenhouse uh, greenhouses with just uh, four of us. And we're able to do that uh, with such a small crew because we are wholesale. And we don't have, even though we love the public, we don't have folks showing up and, and needing personal attention. Uh, so we can 
uh, two people can be watering for eight hours, and one of us is delivering, and another one's doing odd jobs, mm-hmm. uh, but we're able to do it with four of us. Yeah, it makes it very efficient when you're either wholesale or retail. There's, there's, it's tough to do both extremely well. You know, we struggle with that at times just because we're dealing with all of you folks out there that are listening, and we're also trying to grow. So there's a yin and yang there for us. But certainly, um, you know, one thing we wanted to kind of talk about is you've really been kind of trying to get away from using propane and, and other fuels. And tell us a little bit about some of the technology that you've been implementing and how you've gone about that, and, and it's quite impressive in my opinion. Well, thanks. Um, a couple years ago, we signed up for a program out of Augusta with the Department of Ag, which was called the Farms for the Future program. And that program um, gave us 18 months to plan an expansion, and then there was actually some grant money at the end. Um, and over those two years, we decided to put up a 30-kilowatt photovoltaic system. Now, photovoltaics is, uh, are those panels you may see in, uh, around various properties that take sunlight and turn that directly into electricity. There are a couple ways to do that, and we decided to tie directly into the power grid. So there is a meter behind this 30-kilowatt system. So all the electricity it makes goes backwards into CMP and the grid. So we actually have one meter on our property, electric meter, that tells us exactly how much electricity we've generated. Last August 28th was the first anniversary date, and we had produced essentially 39,000 kilowatts in the first 12 months. The step we went beyond that in this planning phase was to build a new greenhouse that was heated entirely by geothermal. There are different types of geothermal systems. Ours is what's called a closed-loop system, so it uses the same water uh, in a closed loop that is in a mile of pipes that are buried four and a half to five feet down. So this water goes round and round and round, and, and in the greenhouse, the heat exchanger grabs a little bit of the heat, sends a water molecule back out where going through a mile of pipe, it warms back up, even though that might only be to 36 degrees, comes back in the greenhouse where it steals another four degrees and it goes back out again at maybe 28 or 30. So um, in, a, in a complicated sort of way, it's taking heat, even though it doesn't seem like heat to us, it's removing heat from the earth and then producing and saving that heat and we use it in the greenhouse. So we have a meter coming into this brand new greenhouse, which tells us exactly how much electricity that greenhouse has used. So our goal is that in the first year, we won't exceed the 39,000 kilowatts that we produced on the photovoltaic. So this greenhouse will essentially be zero emissions. And the interesting thing is we've just finished, uh, we're taping this a little ahead of when you folks are hearing Mm -hmm. it, Uh, We are just finishing our seventh week of running this greenhouse, and these past seven weeks have been brutal. Uh, We had 20 (laughs) degrees below zero one night, 10 below a number of nights, uh, and we've only used about just under a third of our electricity in these seven weeks. Uh, We're just approaching 13,000 kilowatts today. So with the coldest seven weeks behind us, we're pretty confident that we're going to be able to keep 
our first anniversary date of the, this new greenhouse uh, using less than 39,000 kilowatts so we can make the claim that this greenhouse is zero emissions. Now, we understand that the same electron we're generating is not the same electron that's driving the system inside, but it's kind of on paper we're saying that we're zero emissions. We've produced over 39,000, and again, our goal is to use less than 39,000 in this greenhouse. Well, that's, I mean, I think I think the goal is amazing, and I think you're going to make it. I mean, like you said, this has been brutal, a brutal cold. Um, talk to us a little bit about the maximum temperatures you can get in. The, this is not a traditional greenhouse that you're going to heat to 70, 75 degrees, correct? Oh, exactly. Uh, there's many mornings we walk in, and the greenhouse is at 37 degrees, uh, where the thermostat is on the end wall. Uh, if the sun comes out, like today it did, uh, it was down to close to zero last night. Um, today we have to open the doors uh, by 11 o'clock to start cooling down the greenhouse because it's over 70 degrees. So there's a wide temperature swing uh, this time of year. Um, but what we're doing is only growing plants that can tolerate that wide swing. So right now we have the greenhouse essentially filled with lettuces, uh, leaf crops that can take uh, cold winter temperatures at night, Mm -hmm. uh, but they also love and enjoy growing in warmer temperatures. So there is a very wide swing compared to a a conventional greenhouse, Uh, but the plants we're growing are are expecting and and actually enjoy that. So pretty much you've got to fit the right crop to this type of, of scenario at, at, because a lot of the crops you grow that need warmer temperatures probably won't fit. But this is a perfect scenario where it could be a hardening off greenhouse, you know, where you take it out of a, a, a traditional greenhouse that's heated by propane or, or, or oil or whatnot and move that into something that where they could be hardened off before they go outside. That's true. One, one other aspect, we're seeing that the greenhouse is able to add... Uh, I'm going to make up a number, but 40 degrees to the outside temperature. So we still expect during March and April uh, and May, we'll be growing even tomatoes in this house, Mm -hmm. but we won't have nights at 20 below or down to zero normally. So the temperature, the night temperature will probably be 45 instead of 35. Right. Um, And then as we get into May, the night temperature, even with the vents open, could well be 60 or 65. So there is still a bump of the temperature. So with warmer night temps, which will naturally happen, we always hope, uh, then we'll have uh, better night temps as far as growing the, the plants that like heat, the tomatoes and the peppers. The yes. So, so, I mean, you know, basically, you know, you're going to be able to use this for your peak season and, and really keep that zero emissions, which is amazing. <laughs> as you said before, we're, we can't find anyone that's done this. So... What you just described is our goal. Uh, we won't know until we're in March uh, what the night temperatures will be, mm-hmm. uh, but that's our goal: is to use it for our traditional spring crops uh, as we get through April and May. And do you have backup heating capabilities? You know, if if the system isn't holding and you need to protect your crop. No, I don't. That's right. And that's what I figured. You know, <laughs> because in your in your process, you don't want to rely on something like that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And what's interesting, in all the other greenhouses, we have alarm systems. Uh, if the power goes out, if a temperature drops below 
uh, 45 degrees in our normal greenhouse, the alarm will call us during the night and, and tell us something's wrong. In this greenhouse, we don't even have a sensor in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it's going to get down in the 30s, uh, but uh, one thing I haven't mentioned, we have a radiant floor in this greenhouse, so we're, we're warming the floor all day, uh, all night, and even if the power goes out, there's enough of a heat bank in the floor that it that radiant heat will continue uh, keeping us above freezing overnight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So very interesting, and, and like you said, this is the only one that you can find. That's uh, right. That's, that's doing um, this process, cutting edge. Th- that's what we think. Yeah, um, we. It's hard to Google this topic um, because when you Google greenhouses emissions. Uh, you end up with page after page after page talking articles talking about the greenhouse effect and the carbon emissions that are in our atmosphere causing temperatures to raise and mm-hmm. global warming and and so um, I'm not quite sure of a, a clearinghouse or or how to find out if anyone's done this. Um, it's possible there are many greenhouses in Florida that have no heating system. Right. Um, that have no electricity attached to them, that they roll up sides during the day, or they don't even have sides on those greenhouses. So as far as a greenhouse without emissions, I, uh, I'm sure we're not the first. But to have a greenhouse with a heating system like we need in this part of the country, uh, I'm feeling pretty confident we're the first. Well, Jeff, i got to tell you, I'm really impressed with what you guys have done there. Um, It's really, really amazing that, you know, here in uh, little old Maine, you know, Mm -hmm. that we continue to evolve in our industry and we continue to build and and make investments and change. I I think you're setting a precedence that uh, a lot of this technology can be used in the future. Oh, thanks, Tom. Jeff, I appreciate the interview, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Can I add one quick thing? Absolutely. We will be at the Portland Flower Show if anybody wants to stop by. And um, this year's theme is is uh, Storybook Gardens. And we're going to be doing Jack is our hero. We're doing Jack and the Beanstalk. All right. And he's going to have a greenhouse without emissions right in his display, believe it or not. There you go. Yep. All, you know, Flower Show is always so much fun. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you there. Enjoy Good. the rest of winter and look forward to spring. <laughs> Stay warm, Tom. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. At Coast of Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, the lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we just got off with uh, Jeff Marsteller. 
you know, of Cozy Acre Greenhouses. A really cool process, exciting for our industry to kind of be leading there. Uh, you know, I've had a long relationship with Jeff over 20 years, and he always continues to evolve his business and is looking to save money, be more efficient. Uh, and, you know, this is just another way our industry can continue to be the green industry, which we are. You know, so technology is changing as geothermal gets better, as some of the photovoltaics, you know, solar, all of these things get better. There are, is research right now being done where there is actually tempered glass and in the glass, embedded in the glass, is a solar panel. And so the light will come through the glass, it will grow your plants, but then it's also a solar range. So, you know, a lot of things are changing in our industry. The question is, how do we afford it? How do we get help? Now, the government has been great to our industry. They give us a lot of grants, and Jeff applied for a lot and got a lot of grants, and so it helped with this project. So, you know, we're always trying to work with all the different agencies to kind of be on the leading edge. And the state of Maine has really helped us out. I want to thank all of them at, at the state, whether it be Cooperative Extension, USDA, all of those folks really work very closely with us, and, and it's a huge, huge help. And, you know, let's move on to the show because that's all exciting stuff, but let's talk about plants because that's what it's all about. And today we've got Carrie Ann Mendez with uh, Perennially Yours. How are you, Carrie? Good, Tom. How are you doing? I'm great. <laughs> you know, it's February, mid-February. You know, there's optimism now. Yeah, I the temperature's a little higher today. Yeah. I can just feel it. Every day is going to get warmer. I can I watch that mercury line going up. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your business. Tell me, I, you just moved back to Maine. Yeah, I um, lived 28 years in upstate New York near mm -hmm. Saratoga Springs, and we decided to move back to Maine. I say move back. Uh, my twin sister lives here mm -hmm. uh, and uh, married a great guy and born and raised in uh, Kenny Bunk area, and just decided it was time to rejoin my family in this area and my passion for gardening will go with me anywhere. That's right. And I started my business perennially yours. I always say think sincerely yours. Mm -hmm. It's a mouth twister <laughs> uh, to say it. But I just basically wanted to help people, encourage people, inspire people to gardening, get mm -hmm. their hands dirty, be confident in what they're doing. And with um, good information and great plants, mm -hmm. you can do anything. You Absolutely. really can. So we moved back here in December, balmy December here. <laughs> you picked a, a, a cold year to move to Maine. I know. I'm getting a, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of tweets from my uh, friends in upstate New York saying, hey, you know, what's the temperature there? We've got this temperature. And you know what? We are almost right on. Mm -hmm. We're the same temperature here as what they're experiencing around the Saratoga, southern Adirondack area. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a brutal winter, you it know. Has. Um, so tell me a little bit about your business, what you do, all of that fun stuff. Basically, I have four different uh, things that I focus on with Perennially Yours. One, I do a lot of speaking around the country, mostly in the Northeast. Uh, I am so psyched. I'm going to be at the Portland Flower Show for the first time. I haven't spoken at that show yet. I'll be there on March 6th speaking at that show. So I do a lot of speaking. Uh, next week, I'm in uh, Kansas City. The week after that, I'm in uh, Philadelphia, Longwood Gardens. So I go a lot of places, but it's still the same message. Have fun. Let's work with great plants, uh, and let's have good, solid information on how to be organic and sustainable in our practices. So I do a lot of talking. 
I do a lot of writing. Uh, I published two books, and actually tomorrow I'm speaking with a publisher out of uh, Pittsburgh, hopefully having my third book signed, which uh, I will be able to say more about once I know that the contract is lined up. So I do a lot of writing, Mm -hmm. uh, and I also do a lot of consulting where I'll work with property owners, both private and commercial Walk on the properties and sharpshoot as far as what can you do to make your properties more attractive and um, also less work and more mm-hmm. sustainable. And my best part, I'm so psyched here, uh, I had the opportunity to work at a fine garden center in upstate New York for many years, and now I've got the pleasure of working at Estabrooks this year. So I'm there's so psyched. Our, there's our big announcement, folks, <laughs> oh, that I've been talking about. <laughs> I, I, you know, Carrie's joining our staff and she's going to be uh, at our Kennebunk store. Um, you know, that way she's close to home, has the quality of life, all that fun stuff that, you know, gardening's fun. You know, it's enjoyable. Uh, so we're happy to have you. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I am really psyched. My, you know, as far as people say, well, what's your, what types of plants do you enjoy working with most? I've kind of been pegged as a uh, perennial guru. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of be my that that being my niche. You know, knowing about a lot of different perennials, especially shade perennials, yeah. where a lot of people feel stumped. You know, what can we do in shade? Um, and certainly, we have a lot of those at Estabrooks, and I'm really excited to be working with those plants. Mm-hmm. And um, but I also do a lot more with flowering shrubs and evergreens because. As many Americans are looking to downsize the time to work smarter in their gardens, many people are turning more to, you know, the bones of the garden, the shrubs. And so I'm finding I'm doing a lot more work in designing with them as well as what I call no-fuss annuals to complement the a mixed border. And you have a relationship with Proven Winners also, correct? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty psyched. I was just signed with Proven Winners um, this past year, 2013, to be one of their national spokespersons Mm -hmm. uh, to speak on behalf of Proven Winners. So I'll be going on the road. Actually, I start uh, next month in March uh, speaking in Grand Rapids, Michigan at one of the uh, Proven Winners Mm -hmm. events for them. So that's going to be fun. And uh, well, it's a great line of plants. We've been heavily involved with Proven Winners for many years, obviously. Um, other folks that you you work with, Espoma, which, mm-hmm. which is a great sponsor of this show. Um, you know, a whole host of different people that you work with. But let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite plants, you know. Mm. I know it's so tough to kind of I, – I, I had – I posed this question to myself uh, a few weeks ago and, and did a show where I took and said, what's my favorite trees and shrubs? And mm. just kind of talked about them. And I had a really tough time kind of narrowing down the list for right. an hour show. You know, you can kind of go on and on and on, but give me the top 20. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I thought that was a big okay. enough number. Right. No, okay. we don't need to do 20. But. Okay, let me, uh, let's start with some perennials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still have to go back to uh, geranium roseanne. That mm-hmm. was the perennial of the year a few years ago. And what I always note with that, because a lot of people say, well, yeah, hardy geranium, got it, check that one off. But geranium roseanne was the first really sterile hardy geranium to come to the market. And what does that mean to you and I? It means that we don't have to be out there deadheading this perennial. It basically just keeps on going from June until October, Mm. just keeps spilling out these great blue-purple flowers, great mounding habit, great for cascading over walls or along pathways. It is such an easy, no-fuss perennial. And truly, I've not found a perennial that will bloom that long, because most perennials, you know, bloom, what, three, four weeks, maybe a little bit more. But 
when have we ever found a perennial that really truly will start by mid-June and it keeps on kicking right through October? Mm-hmm. And this does. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly one of my favorites. Um, you know, I've really gotten to, uh, I always love garden flocks because they're the old-fashioned wonderful plants. But one of the downsides was the powdery mildew right. issues we get. Well, I found that there's a number of newer garden flocks that are out that don't get a sp- Spot of mildew. At least they have it in my upstate New York garden. Mm. And a couple of my favorites, there's one called Robert Poor, mm-hmm. P-O-O-R-E. That's a striking fuchsia pink. And what's so cool about that garden phlox, other than its fragrance and its long bloom habit, it tends to start blooming later than other garden phlox. Uh, so that means it blooms later into the season. Right. So it won't really kick in until mid-July, so I still have that garden phlox looking great in early September in my gardens, where some of the others like Phlox David and um, you know Bright Eyes and some of the others will have finished. So I get extended bloom with a really tough, mildew-resistant phlox. Uh, that's what I like about some of the new phlox. Mm. They also, a lot of them, if you prune them back after their first bloom, they rebloom again. The volcano phlox are a oh. prime example of that, you know. Every year we have a tough time getting enough of them mm. in the summer months, but they just keep blooming. And then also a lot of them are intermediate size now. They're not mm. those super tall that you have yeah. to get out there and stake. You know, they, they have great dark foliage, powdery mildew resistant, and then also no staking. That's huge for, but, for maintenance and time. Yep. And, you know, good point you said that because the Volcano series, um, along with some of these other series, they're great for containers. Mm-hmm. And more and more people are doing container gardening. And because these are midsize, 18 to, what, 28 inches, yeah. they're very compact and they can work both on your deck and in the gardens. Another, you know, some of the new Coreopsis that are coming out. <laughs> now, Now, I have to tell you, I've been a little... Um, you know, you, you got to prove it to me, as I say, because I do a lot mm-hmm. of trialing of plants. And some of the newer Coreopsis I've found to be a little bit um, weak for colder zones like we are in I Maine agree. and upstate New York. But I tell you what, I was blown away with this new one you've probably grown yourself called Mercury Rising. Mercury Rising was a big hit last year. Oh, my gosh. I was trialing that uh, the year before. I get plants ahead of time from a lot of these growers mm-hmm. to trial in my gardens and comment on Mercury Rising, this gorgeous kind of a burgundy red with a bright yellow center, a thread leaf, so you don't have to deadhead it. Mm-hmm. It started blooming in June. It was going straight through the end of October. Never touched it once. Just billowing mass of great plant, uh, great flowers. Fantastic. Yeah. It's one of my favorites now. The nice part about Coreopsis, if you get tired of it, run it over with a lawnmower oh, yeah. and it comes back. Weed it's whackers, just, go yeah, for it. Yeah. It's, it's an easy plant, but I agree with you. There's so many varieties. And we've we've held off a lot of those varieties. Mm. Last year was the first year we really grew a lot of varieties of Coreopsis and tested them out because you're exactly right um you know we had many varieties that were zone six or even zone seven for quite Mm. a quite a while they've bred the hardiness into them now um which i think is amazing because all of those dark colors like mercury rising were not hardy for a long time right exactly and so you know coreopsis just a a mainstay of a garden it's Mm -hmm. easy low maintenance um you know but so many varieties to choose from now. Yeah. You know, you can get overwhelmed. So dial it in. You don't need every variety. You right. know, pick one that's going to go with and complement with the plants that you are choosing to go with it. Exactly. And, you know, you, you bring to mind the whole line of coneflowers now that are out there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Put a new name on it. Slap a tag. And, you know, we gardeners, we'll go for anything new. You know, mm-hmm. that's just us. But I think along 
the same line as with Coryopsis. There are a lot of good coneflowers out there, and there are a lot of DNA junky ones out mm-hmm. there. And so uh, one of the things that, again, I have the opportunity to do and you do as you grow is to you really find out which ones are the ones we want to put our gold medal on mm-hmm. and be recommending to um, our patrons and which ones are a little weaker. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the ones that I have found in my trialing, and I'm sure, again, I'm new to Maine yep. here, so I'm learning, but a couple that I've top rated in my gardens, um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw them when I strolled the garden center last year. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, Tiki Torch yep. is one that has gotten great ratings at a lot of the evaluation trials, both at Chicago and uh, Mount Cuba Research Center. So Tiki Torch is super. Um, a couple other ones, I love Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm. Love the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Fatal Attraction is one of these very deep ruby pink coneflowers that's very compact. It's actually shorter than Kim's knee high that's been out for a while. Um, Fatal Attraction only gets about 24, 28 inches. Mm-hmm. And what's so cool, it's really got almost black stems. So you get this contrast between really dark stems, a nice compact uh, branching habit with these great ruby pink flowers. It's got to be another one of my favorites. And my last one, I just got to say, because <laughs> I love the name, uh, Milkshake. Mm-hmm. Milkshake is also has been top rated uh, in a number of trials. And Milkshake is one of the crested white cone flowers. So it's got that moundy, crested top. Yeah, that with nice the... round blossom. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And that will just keep on going. That one easily went into the fall in my gardens with no deadheading. I know you can deadhead to Mm -hmm. encourage more blooms. Call me a lazy gardener or a busy gardener, but I didn't touch any of these, and they just continue to reward me with flowers. Yeah, what we are finding with a lot of these new varieties, and we've gone over this a couple times on the show, is that the first year you're going to come into the garden center, you're going to see these plants in bloom. It's important for you to bulk up the root system. So actually taking those flowers off and using them in arrangement or something else the first year is not a bad thing. Taking away the energy that they're putting to seed is important to bulk that root mm-hmm. system in, in a northern climate. And what that does is it builds the crown for overwintering. And we've found with even the wheat varieties, a prime example of some really weak varieties are the Sky Series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're just very weak. And of course, they were the first first series to come out with all kinds of funky cool colors Mm -hmm. yellows and oranges and and bicolors and and all kinds of different things but the problem was they didn't tell us how to bulk up the root systems Mm -hmm. so whether we were growing it or another grower they grew wonderful top growth but the roots never really caught up right right and let's face it if a plant doesn't have a great root system it's just not gonna perform year in and year out and so that's what we've kind of gone to to help some of these varieties but there's so many varieties. Yeah. It's kind of like yep. hydrangeas, you know. It's the oh same same thing. But um, you know, at this point, Carrie, I think what we'll do is we'll take a quick mm-hmm. break. We'll come back with a whole bunch of new, exciting plants that you like, um, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on Newstalk WLOB. For over 60 years, Wilt Proof has provided the most effective protection against moisture loss in plants under water stress, and no other product comes close. Our non-hazardous, organic, and biodegradable film is like having several layers of protection. As the outside layer of Wilt Proof wears off with the weather, another layer forms. 
Wiltproof is the only horticulture anti-transparent that has the ability to provide this long-lasting protection. Put your trust in Wiltproof. Check out their site at wiltproof.com. That's wilt-proof.com. The main gardening season can often feel like a race to the finish line, so give yourself a head start by doing a little planning this winter. Visit EsterBrooksOnline.com and browse thousands of plant photos, descriptions, and care requirements in the Esterbrooks Online Plant Catalog. It's the ultimate resource as you create your garden to-do list. Plus, don't forget that Estabrooks is now taking plant pre-orders. Contact their garden pros to ensure you'll have the plants you need this spring. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we are in the studio today with Carrie Ann Mendez, and we're talking plants. You the know, best thing. Mid is there February. Anything else? No, absolutely yeah. not. You know, exciting. You know, thinking spring, starting to plan. You know, it's kind of that. You know, I can think back to last year and those holes that we have in the garden. Shade's always, you know, a tough one for all gardeners. But uh, you've got a book on shade gardening. Yeah. So what what are some of the things that you like to like to use? You know, we were talking earlier, most people, when we think of shade, we think of hosta and impatience. Oh, well, not as much impatience uh, since downy mildew. But anyway, you know, that's generally people just ho-hum, not much going on in shade. Well, I'm here to say there is so much fun with shade plants. And some of my favorites, uh, certainly astilbes, people think of because certainly they're deer resistant. They give you great plumes, different flower shapes. But one of the ones I find that a lot of people are less familiar with in the astilbe group are those that are in the chinensis species. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that important? By the way, when I say chinensis, that's the second word after the word astilbe. When you look on a plant tag, you get the first name, the family name. The second name, usually uh, italicized, uh, is the species, and that's the one I'm talking about. It's called chinensis, or Chinese astilbe. These astilbes come in many different colors, different heights, but the key is they're much more drought tolerant than many other astilbes that can that can demand a lot of water. So if you're trying to garden in dry shade, sandy soil, on a slope, then I would recommend picking one of the astilbes in that chinensis group. Mm-hmm. And probably one of my favorites is one called Delft, Delft Lace, D-E-L-F-T, Delft mm-hmm. Lace. Great uh, plumes of salmony pink flowers, but even better are the beautiful burgundy coloring to the leaves. So you, not only do you have great flowers, but even before and after bloom, you have very colorful foliage adding uh, interest to the gardens. A couple other cool ones. You jump in here, Tom. If you yeah, have well, one thing I want to say about Delph Lace is mm. the fact that it is one of the longest blooming mm. varieties. That's right. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, you don't notice it. I don't notice it because if I don't have it in my garden, but when I look on the bench with all the different varieties, you know, there's early, there's mid-season, there's late. This variety 
is the full package because it blooms for an extremely long time. And I've found it even throws some sporadic blooms throughout the season. It's pretty amazing. And the, the foliage is great. The actual bud is amazing. Yes. You yeah. know, and it the stems, holds yeah. it holds in, in bud stage for a long time before mm-hmm. it opens up. Comparative to others that will shoot up and then all of a sudden, boom, you've got color and then bam, it's gone. Right. You know. I'm so glad you mentioned the point that a stillbees come in early, mid, and late bloom just mm-hmm. like with daylilies and others. And why that's important, I'm always sharing this with people. We all want more color from our gardens, right? You know, we, there's never enough for us in, in the gardening world. So when you're buying a stillbees, make sure to get some early bloomers like fennel, some of the deep reds, mm-hmm. some mid-season bloomers like the ones we just talked about, uh, Delph Lace, and add some late-season ones, those that are going to really start in end of July into August to continue to carry that color. Some of the late ones like... Um, uh, uh, Pumala. Oh yeah, yeah. The nice and short. small. Yep. Nice for in front of a border. Right. You know, just a nice old fashioned. Holds up well. Blooms well every year. Just an easy plant. Mm-hmm. So now we can have color from a stillbees in our gardens from mid June through mid August by simply using a combination of all three groups. And because most of stillbees, as we know, only bloom for what three or four weeks when they're in prime mm-hmm. color, um, or so you know make that combination the other thing we were sharing earlier and you've got to get this one it's such a cool astilbe i'm so glad that we carry it Absolutely. at Esther Brooks. it's called color flash and that's not one we could get in our garden center from upstate where i used to come from we could not get that one in but color flash has pretty pink flowers in the summer it's more like a mid-season bloomer but what you're buying it for is the most striking fall color leaves beautiful yellow oranges reds it's almost like a sugar maple if Mm -hmm. i can say it that way Mm -hmm. so now i bring incredible brilliant color to a fall garden and it's also one of the uh, more drought tolerant ones so you get summer flowers and you get just shimmering fall foliage we also carry color flash lime oh that's another which is great because you get the yellow foliage before you get a flower stem or anything so again with shade it's so important to, for your plants to have texture, and, but also to show color when they're not in flower. You right. know, so if you can add that, you know, the hookeras are a mm. prime oh, example. Yep. Yep, the hookeras and the hookerellas, you know, and that's, you know, for shade and even non-shade. I always remind people the leaves are the backbone. They're there before and after bloom. Think of the flowers as icing on the cake. Work at that. I know it's hard for us to do, but it's the leaves that are going to really carry the baton right from spring through fall. And coral bells, the hookera and hookerellas, which Mm -hmm. are a cross between coral bells and foam flowers, these bring in what I say is it's like very, very showy coleus leaves but these are perennials that come back year after year with mounds of just tapestry colored leaves that you can bring into your gardens and we're talking about colors from peach to burgundy silvery colors um there's tricolor two colors i mean there's been so much breeding in hookera hookerella you know all of these different crosses that are happening it it really is a plant group that should be planted in some masses, you know, Mm. just putting, I think that's something important to talk about in shade too. You have to have masses on any of these plants. It's tough to just stick one plant in. Right. Because then it becomes, as I say, the gumdrop garden, you know, one of here, one of there, one of there. Don't make it like a buffet, you know, really commit to having some sweeps of color, especially Mm -hmm. in lower light. You need to have, um, 
more mass in order to appreciate it. It gets lost. It doesn't have the benefit of the higher light. Uh, but I was thinking a couple of my favorite hookerellas that came out in recent years. One is called Brass Lantern, mm-hmm. and it's got a, a shimmery, coppery, kind of a burgundy, rusty leaf, really large leaves, much larger than you usually would be familiar with with a coral bell. Um, so they really almost feel like a mid-sized hosta when you're talking about just kind of the meat of how this gorgeous plant is holding its own in the garden. But by combining that with sweeps of either more of brass lanterns or mixing it with other coral bells or hookerellas so that you just get this, I call it quilting a garden with mm-hmm. color that mm-hmm. is there right when it starts in the spring until you, it, says, it says goodbye in the fall. One, one, of them are one thing I've found with hookera and hookerella is you can walk up to the bench in the garden center and see this plant in the pot, and it does itself no justice. In the ground, in normal, shady situations, it becomes a lot more vivid. Mm -hmm. You know, where on the bench, where it's been grown, it's not as vibrant as when you put it in its natural place that it wants to be in the garden. And when you put that color in that darker area just the pop you get. Mm. It's so much different than looking over a bench of all these different shades of foliage and different flower types. And then you put it out in the garden and it contrasts everything else like hosta and astilbe and mm. all the common things, ferns, you know, but what a difference it makes. But when it's on the bench, you're, it's really understated. Right. So you almost have to, I find I have to really bring people to that and say, hey, you need to put these in because it's going to make everything else look better. Right. I absolutely agree. You know, in many cases, as you're saying, um, once you get the plant out of the pot, even with the best care at a garden center, once you get it into a a soil medium that has more consistent soil temperature, doesn't have the fluctuations, Mm -hmm. has more consistent, hopefully, uh, moisture, the plants do take off. And when you're starting with good plants that have been cared for well at the garden center, they just take off very quickly versus... At some garden centers that um, don't care for their plants the same way. They're already stressed <laughs> before they get into your ground. Absolutely, so, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some a couple others that I think are really cool for shade, just, and I don't know with the time here, but you mentioned Japanese ferns, mm-hmm. Japanese painted ferns. I use a lot of uh, ferns because, again, it's giving me a cut leaf, the texture of uh, a leaf that's different from the big, bold leaves of hosta or the uh, different shaped leaves of hookerella. A couple of my favorite Japanese painted ferns, uh, one of them is called Burgundy Lace. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I mentioned Burgundy Lace is because if you want more contrast between uh, rich burgundy and a shimmering silver uh, and the deep forest green of the Japanese painted fern, Burgundy Lace really um, accentuates those colors versus Pictum and some of the others. They're all great ferns, but if you're really looking for that contrast and... mm, Really bold statement, burgundy lace, and the other one I love is Ursula's Red. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those that are new kind of growth my... is just amazing. And, and one of the things I find is in when I in my upstate New York gardens, I would do open houses uh, once a month. It, hundreds of people would come to my gardens. And because I trial a lot of different plants, I would simply watch the people as they responded to the different plants in my gardens. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, I wasn't just my favorites. I like to see what other people responded to. And certainly their hands would be pointing to which, which Japanese pern is this one? Right. Wh- which is that? Because you could see so much of a difference. You know, and in somewhere. the ground, again, you... You can't state a plant in the ground compared to a plant in a pot. It, you know, ferns in a pot, to me, don't they're not <laughs> exciting. Yeah. But you put them with some other stuff around them, 
and bam, now they're, they've come to life. They take on a different leaf size and texture, and they have character. Mm-hmm. In a pot, it's kind of like, oh, look at that thing in a yeah. plastic pot. It's okay. Right. But then all of a sudden, you get it in the ground. It's just amazing. You know, and one of the ways that we bring this to people, our patrons as they're coming to our garden centers, is people like Tom and myself and others at Estabrooks and at other garden centers. Uh, I'm still learning this area, as I said. But we can help people visualize it, pull it together, so that as we walk with them at our garden center, we can say, hey, look at this grouping. Wouldn't this be just so cool? And so that they can appreciate and bring it, especially if it was shade plants, mm-hmm. be able to understand the value of the plants and how they play off each other and the expectations once they get them into their grounds. And just good planting techniques as well, just helping them on their journey. It's it's. It's always tough to show folks that contrasting, you know, um, between pots and them see it in their yard. Some people are extremely visual. Some people can see it on paper, you know, understand spacing. I'm a touchy-feely person. Mm -hmm. I like to see those combos put together on my cart, you know, oh, that works, or you know, when you're talking about it, they may not be able to, a customer can't visualize it. So putting those three plants or five plants together and then saying, okay, we're not planting one of each of these. We're buying three or five of them so that you get the mass appeal. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I think with perennials and specifically shade perennials, there are so many options for folks. They don't need to be handcuffs. Now, I don't want to negate the big groups like Hosta, you know, mm. they're certainly super cool varieties in Hosta, and we carry a lot of them. The one thing I will say is everything else looks better with a foliage like a Hosta, you know, right, so right. it will help some of these other plants we've talked about shine. Yep. And, you know, the with Hosta, I have so many different varieties I love, but I remind people that if you're using Hosta near an entertainment area or deck or where you have your windows open in the summer, look for Hostas that have fragrant mm. flowers because they're just nature's airwick, you know, especially in shady spots. And most Hosta don't have, have no fragrance to the flowers, but there are some like So Sweet and Guacamole mm-hmm. and uh, Fragrant Blue. These are hostas that have white or usually light lavender flowers that are so fragrant. I would say they're going to start rivaling some of the Oriental Lilies, mm-hmm. especially in a captured area where you don't have a breeze. So they're wonderful to use not only their beautiful leaves, but that wonderful fragrance you get from the flowers. There's always that nice little waft right at dusk that comes mm-hmm. in the window and you go, what is that? Yeah, You know, having that in your garden, it's just a surprise when it starts to happen. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth-life compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. I want a great garden this year, but I don't know where to start. Does this sound like you? With so many great plants available, it can be tough knowing which ones are right for you and your home. 
The gardening pros at Estabrooks can help. Every time I come, they're always helpful to us. They are really knowledgeable about things because I don't know that much about gardening, so they always tell me what you know would be right in my house in the sun and the setting. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Whether it's pest management, improving your soil, treating diseases, or simply staying ahead of the weeds, gardening can often feel like a lot of work. Finding great local advice that's timely and helpful doesn't have to be. Sign up for the Estabrooks Garden newsletter, and you'll receive gardening tips, in-depth articles, and great deals every week right in your email inbox. It's the perfect way to stay ahead in the garden and save big on your next visit. To learn more and sign up, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we are here with Carrie Ann Mendez, perennial yours. <laughs> um, you know, we've, we've kicked around. I mean, we could go on and on about perennials. We could talk about annuals, but... I think you brought up kind of an interesting thing here. We just have a few minutes left in the show. Earlier you said, you know, sustainable gardens. Mm -hmm. And our customer nowadays, we're we're fighting for time in their Mm -hmm. lives. So, you know, let's talk about some bones in the garden. Mm -hmm. Trees and shrubs make excellent bones. They take up space. They give us, you know, huge bloom power at, at certain times of the year. And they... They kind of give us the bones to make everything else look better. Right. You know, I, I look at perennials and annuals as just that finishing touches, those yep. blasts of color, and then the annuals just fill in the voids. Right. But tell me about some of the different shrubs and trees maybe that you like to use as as statement items mm-hmm. in the garden. Well, I mean, everyone thinks hydrangeas, don't they? I mean, it seems like the, the mm-hmm. top-selling flowering shrubs – seem to be at least in upstate New York we're yeah. talking either lilacs or hydrangeas yep. and so I'm going to just mention quickly hydrangeas and I love hydrangeas I've grown I grow all different varieties but I think the easiest group to grow mm. because I'm into ease I want it to look good <laughs> I want it not to uh, break my back and but still add value to my property I think the uh, paniculata hydrangeas you know yep. commonly called panicle hydrangeas many of you may know of like PG hydrangea Correct. limelight uh, little lamb uh, quick fire there's so many great ones but why i cited that group is because they really are such reliable bloomers no mm-hmm. matter what i don't care how wicked our winters are they're going to go into bloom right. and you know they're either they're going to start white and they're aged to pink or burgundy for most of the varieties and so that's the one that i recommend and you have two choices you can grow them either as a flowering shrub with multi stems from the ground or you can go with a single trunk form of a hydrangea in that panicle group. The group that I, I always kind of cautionary in, with myself, and that's in upstate New York, might be much different here by the ocean in Maine, is, but in upstate New York, we had a lot of problem with the, uh, the big leaf hydrangea, mm-hmm. the macrophylla, like endless summer, because of sometimes their inconsistency about blooming. And I don't know how that is here in, in this area. I mean, maybe you can help me, but I know that... Um, that was one. I love the blooms with the pink or the blue, but I would encourage people to put them in protected areas out of the uh, way of winter winds, uh, and then they bloom great. But just to be very conscious where they're citing the big leaf hydrangeas, where the panicle hydrangeas, man, those are just, you know, uh, 
I can almost say 100% guaranteed bloom unless you whack all the bloom, you know, the buds off in the spring. Yeah, the macrophylla hydrangeas, you know, uh, you know, we've we've we love endless summer. Yeah. We sell and, a ton of them. And I love them. I have them. And, you know, it's funny because over the years, we've kind of come up with what we feel is the right process to get the best bloom situation. Mm-hmm. Extra fertilizer, no pruning, you know, all of these different things to kind of get them to where they're going to butt up the best. A lot of it, like you said, is site-related, mm-hmm. but it's amazing. Site. You go to Canabunk on Canabunk Beach or down in Wells, and there'll be a hedge of them and sea-swept area, wide open, around a pool, and they bloom every oh. year. I'm so glad and I moved so, here. <laughs> you know, closer to the coast, you know, within say 10 miles, we have great success. You know, certainly this year's going to be a test. Mm, you know, we've yeah. had extreme temperature, but they've always been touted as they'll bloom on new and old wood. Right. And that comes down to fertilization and being aggressive with the fertilizer in our short season. Now I'm excited because we have Bloomstruck, which is the new one. Bloomstruck is a dwarf variety of Endless Summer. It's got the same round flower, mm. but it's a cross with Twist and Shout. Oh, great. And Twist and Shout, in my opinion, is the most amazing bloomer out of the whole group. So I'm excited to see what Bloomstruck's going to do. We have a good selection for spring. We've ordered a fair number. I think it's going to take over in the summer. It's a more compact variety, mm. can be used in containers and in the ground. But Bloomstruck is one of those ones. But I agree with you. Paniculata hybrids are... By far the best. Here in Maine, we use a lot of arborescence. Yes. You know, also because of the snow damage and and plow damage and snow off of the roof and all that, we do, we use a lot of those. But, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Uh, Hopefully we can have you on a little bit more. Thank you. You know, but um, I'm excited for you to join the team. It's, uh, you know, certainly going to be a huge, huge attribute for us. Uh, Excited for the old... uh, Kennebunk location. So where can folks uh, go to your website, contact you that way, see where you're speaking uh, to wrap up? What you can do is go to my website, Parentally Yours, that's P-Y-O-U-R-S.com, and you'll see the event calendar. It tells you where I'm speaking, the topics that are listed. It also gives you more information about my books. Perfect. Thank you very much, Carrie. Uh, we'll have Carrie on again. It was an exciting show. Wonderful, wonderful week this week. Uh, let's face it, we're over halfway through February. Moving towards March, obviously Yarmouth's going to be opening up in the next few weeks. Keep up with our e-news, you know, submit some questions to our website, estabrooksonline.com backslash radio. We'll get those answered up the last couple weeks. We've had a lot of guests. It's been a lot of fun. More to come. Get out there. Enjoy your garden. Temperatures are rising. Enjoy the end of winter. Look forward to the positives of spring. And get out there and enjoy your garden. Thank you.